Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the first ever Inside the Eight podcast with Colleen McGarity. Um, I'm Jamie Monroe. Really excited to bring this podcast to you guys to talk about women's lacrosse. How's it going, Colleen? It's great. I'm happy to be here. Happy to get this started. We've been talking about this for about a year. So, uh, yeah, just happy to be here. We need more women's lacrosse content out there, don't we? No, rather than just having just some conversations with the same people in our Glad we're getting on a podcast so we can get We're kind of just recording the conversations we might have had anyways. Exactly. Yes. So generally, our our plan here, for those of you that are listening, um, is that we're going to talk about the top 20, a bunch of top 20 games that we watched and kind of like how these teams play, what they did, the players, and just try to give a little bit of analysis on that for those of you that are players or coaches that might be really interested. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. Um, and then we're going to try to have a guest each day. And today we have Jana Drummond, uh, the associate head coach at UMass, who are coming off a huge win over Boston College. Yes. Um, but to kick this off, um, Colleen, just give us a quick bio on you for those people that don't know your experience in the game and uh, how you got to where you are. Yeah, so I'm from Philadelphia and played three sports and throughout high school and then went on to go play lacrosse at Northwestern University where I was fortunate enough to win three national championships under Kelly Amonte Hiller, where she's still the head coach there. From there, went on to start the D1 program at Colorado with Ann Elliott, uh, who was my assistant coach at Northwestern, and Hannah Nielsen, who is now the head coach at Michigan. I was out there for three years before I moved back home and I started Triple H, a club team um, based out of Philadelphia. And I also became the um, associate athletic director at Penn Charter, where I'm also the head lacrosse coach there. Played a little bit of professional in between, um, just retired last year. Now I'm just coaching and mentoring these young girls to play at the highest level. Awesome. And my background has been mostly in men's lacrosse. Um, Grew up in Providence, went to Brown, coached at Yale for eight years as an assistant, Denver for 11 years uh, as the head coach, and founded a company called 3D Lacrosse. Um, But I am a girl dad, and so I've gotten really into coaching my girls. I have a daughter at ASU and a daughter in high school who plays for Colleen at Triple H. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, I am really – having a great time coaching and studying and learning and sharing women's lacrosse. And that's really why we're here. Um, So let's get into it. Um, You saw some games this weekend. Um, You usually choose your games based on friends. So uh, tell us about why you chose and a little bit about the Florida Colorado game. Yeah, I love lacrosse and I've actually, this is a unique year for me because of my club team. It's the first group of girls that are now playing in college. So it's pretty exciting to watch them grow and you know play at this highest level so this weekend I definitely watched the Colorado game um where they played Florida where I had five Triple H girls actually playing in those games which was cool just to see um 
and it's always just been such a close game. They've seemed to have matched up against each other in the NCAAs. And so it's just a big kind of became a rival of some sort, even though they're not really uh, league rivals. Great game. Colorado came out to a fast start, um, really pushing in transition. Their zone looked great throughout the whole game, really causing Florida to kind of go on a, you know, not, they didn't really get any rhythm going on offense. They couldn't really score in the beginning. Florida, uh, Colorado went up 5-2, and Florida came roaring back right off a transition goal, just winning the draw, coming down hard, and bring it into halftime, I believe they were tied. I don't know the exact score, but it was a tie game up until the last minute. Florida scores on a deflected eight meter. Ooh. Never, never uh, good to be on the other side of that. But uh, deflected eight meter, Colorado gets the ball, chance to go down and tie it up. But they turn it over at the end. But overall, it was a great game. So you were saying that Colorado played uh, zone. Um, how would you sort of describe that zone and why was it effective? The zone, um, they've been in this zone. I think this is like their second year in a row kind of going through this zone. Um, they do a great job of a, as a unit with um, McCall Miller is now on one of their – she plays down low and on the wing sometimes. She kind of gets shifted from back and forth. So they have the two, two on the wings, two up top, um, shifting those girls off. And I'd say it's their communication and just the way that they sync together as this zone – not necessarily a backer zone. You're shifting off those people in the middle and picking off passes and really getting a lot of knockdowns. Um, so it's really tough to to play against when you're not used to playing against that type of zone, honestly. Yeah. So it's two base defenders, two on the elbows that are kind of in charge of the backside elbow has to get in and pick up the cutters usually. And then the three out top are helping. Um, so their, their help comes from adjacents, though, right? Help comes from adjacents. A lot of the communication comes from those elbows and the two base defenders. They have to right. see everything. Um, so, you know, those middies typically take up the, the top three spots, and then it's the low defenders that are really taking over the core communication and picking off those passes. Um, but like we kind of mentioned more earlier when we were chatting, but uh, we mentioned that the zone – can't get set up if you drive down them pretty fast. So Florida went on a run from the draw, not allowing for that zone to be set up properly. Um, that's where you kind of get down in those um, – you let a team go on a run like Florida did. Right. The early um, offense and transition yeah. uh, is deadly in women's lacrosse. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, a, lot of, a lot of teams are running zone, and it's pretty effective, I think, because so many times – Girls grow up playing against man and just there's not as much team defense at the younger ages and it's just speed, 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 which doesn't work as well against zone when they're just jamming you up all over. How do you, uh, with, with Triple H and, and with Penn Charter, how do you work on that type of stuff to develop your players into being able to be good zone offense players as well as man-to-man? I really try and get them to be smart lacrosse players. So you have to start to read a situation. Like I think it all stems back to basketball too. Like you would never run a man to man play in basketball um, against a zone. Do you know what I mean? So just being able to read what they're in and reading where you need to move off ball and what you need to just start to do with your off ball positioning. Um, so how you create those man up situations on the on ball side, how you split 
the defenders, how you start to read their angles and get in positionings where you could be used and um, you need to be able to move that ball nice and fast when you're against the zone and um, pick it apart with more finesse style of play. Um, so I really just try and create multiple different drills so that when we are in Triple H that they know if they're in a zone, you can just say a word, hey, they know how to break that type of zone um, or whatever we call that play. So I don't like to get into the habit of calling like, let's call number four and the same girl dodges to the goal from up top every single time because she's your best player. Um, I really try and make it a full unit, just like, uh, you know, we'll have Jana mention here in a, in a little while that you need to be a unit. Everyone needs to know their role right. um, and how you effectively, effectively beat a defense with being smart. Yeah. In the man up type of situations is what we were chatting about earlier too. That's yeah. so important. Um, being able to play three on twos, four on threes, five on fours, um, and learning how to being able to do them in all different spots. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, that's huge of catching, uh, attacking a three V two from the wing, attacking a three V two from behind, you know? So a lot of times people just play right from up top where it very often isn't, it's not just right from up top. It's like, right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the carries and throwbacks and the drags and, and sort of sitting there, the players that are best at it can find that little sweet spot right in the seam of the zone so that two players are trying to figure out who should be guarding the ball. And that can really open things up as well. Yeah. And it's, it's cool to just watch um, players evolve to become like aggressive, but calm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it's yeah. like a really fine line where really good players have that. Uh, yes, you're aggressive and you're going hard, but you have that calm where you have that typical, really, really athletic, fast kid that just doesn't have that sense of calm. They kind of just like right. run it down and make a rushed pass. And then I'm like, hey, that's a great look, but just the pass isn't even catchable for that, your teammate. You know what I mean? Or like they're not even cutting on the right angle. So just learning little things like angles and being okay with like maybe just stopping and going and changing your speed to make yeah. the correct play. Slowing down. So yeah. you also watched the Michigan Jacksonville game. Jacksonville has really built a great program and they compete as a mid-major school. They're competing with big time schools. This is a close game. Again, a friend, a friend game. Yeah. Uh, tell yeah. us about that one. Hey, I obviously go blue. Hannah's my best friend. So became a Michigan fan. Um, yeah, that game was just a game of cards. Talk about uh, not the best officiating. 17 yellow cards in a game is not is not the best, and it's not the easiest to watch. Um, it's really hard to adapt your coaching um, and the players' style when you're used to practicing a certain way. Both teams, like, you know, so you're used to playing at this – high level and then all of a sudden the refs are just going to call every single little thing it's it, that's really a true test of you know keeping your composure so I don't know it, 17 yellow cards though that wasn't really uh it's really hard to keep your composure in that type of setting one of the things that uh Hannah does a lot on offense and Adam Sear uh, her assistant um is this concept of clearing space with not a clear through and not a pick, but a fade. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that? Because they run that a lot in their offense, and it's really interesting. They do, and I, I loved learning from that drill last uh, – I think last year on your podcast here, um, and I've implemented it a lot into my um, 
high school teams and my Triple H uh, practices where this concept of bringing your defender away from the ball so the slide is extended, but also having your hips facing and your eyes facing the ball so that you can see the perfect time to slip in and make a play. Um, and you're not just turning your back. So a lot of the times people cut through, they don't have their head on a swivel. This concept, you're dragging your defender equally as far, but you have the capability to make the next play to cut right off the shoulder. And having the sense of knowing how far to fade. You can't fade above the 12. You can't fade inside the eight. You need to kind of be right on that line of right around the eight meter so that you're ready to make that um, impact cut if you, you know, uh, do it at the right time. Yeah. The, um, the idea of clearing through is great, but when you're clearing through, it's easy to slide off you and, and you're oftentimes clearing right into coverage. But when mm -hmm. you fade back, along what I like to call a dangerous perimeter, which would be the eight. Um, mm -hmm. You put your defender in a really tough spot because if they slide, you're wide open, and now you're probably going to get a shooting space. Uh, if they turn their head, you can still cut late, like you said. Um, yeah. and it's a really interesting concept that takes that, – that doesn't allow the defense to do what they want to do, which is oftentimes slide off that clear through. Yes, and also what's great too is, you know, when you have the first person fading, often if they're not used, that person right off their back is going to get a shooting space call like almost automatically if they're used. Right. Um, so you, you kind of just can keep building off that fading concept. And Michigan uses a lot of that three-man type of offense, like where they're, you know, have the ball on the wing with one up top and one behind. So they have the other side fade or – you know, if you're right next to the ball on the wing, you're fading over. It's really interesting just to watch them incorporate so many different looks. They dodge from behind, they go on the wing, they dodge from up top, looking for slips, they do it all. And so did you say they play some two-man game too? Yeah, they do a little two-man more incorporated with that person behind. So I'd say it ends up becoming a three-man, but really looking for the same concepts. Pass down, pick down, looking for the dodge up top or underneath utilizing the person behind whether they're going to fade behind the net or slip in front which is fun to watch their behind the net people because Hannah was so shifty and crafty with behind the net yeah such a good feeder mm -hmm. um, all right let's talk a little bit about the uh Stony Brook Syracuse game that that game was on last night um yeah. that was an awesome game and mm -hmm. it ended up sort of looking like Stony Brook was going to run away with it but it turned into a one goal game Mm -hmm. um, give us some uh, thoughts and analysis on that one. Yeah, I like watching Stony Brook play because they're just so fast-paced and just like high reps, high energy. I've been to a couple of their practices. It's so much transition, um, and they play with no fear. Um, you know, they come out there, they work hard, they're going at them, and, you know, they're trying all sorts of shots. You know, everything is just really, like we talked about, their sense of, IQ of when to use those trick shots per se behind the backs and all that stuff is very efficient and you know they know how to push the pace of the ball and then on the vice versa on the other side that zone they run is is tough to beat yeah their backer um zone is has it's really been a game changer I think for their program and it's kind of been their signature um yeah. and people continue to struggle to score. Now, Syracuse ended up scoring 16 goals, but they did have a drought there. 
for yeah. probably 15 or 20 minutes of that sec of the of the really the beginning of that second half mm -hmm. they made it really hard um how do you describe their that zone that zone is more of a backer style zone so it's a little bit more uh going on and frantic than, than opposed to the colorado one which i'd say is more like positionally um but they still have the same concepts you know you're handing people off you know you're you're covering your area and not your man really working on but they i think allow they're making people make more mistakes a little bit more often than um colorado's is more like a surprise at the end yeah and they also pressure more in this stony brook zone Exactly. Um, so that's no. what I'm saying. They're causing more mistakes. Yeah. They're they're triggering more mistakes where Colorado's is more as like, let's wait and see, and then they're gonna kinda get that interception or that knockdown. They do some pretty cool things in that zone too, where they they have this terminology called I think they call dead ends or something like that, but where they're like they, the they take away the yeah. righty they take away the your your righty alley carry. They overplay it so much that they just don't let you do it. And then right. you just go back the other way and the ball stays and it doesn't like swing as much. And basically they try to get those dead ends after yeah. a few care, after a few passes. And it's, it's a very, very interesting concept because the ball movement will kill that zone, but For they're sure. really good at, at making it harder to move it. Yep. And I'd say they're just really bought in, which is the one thing with the zone is ever needs a buy-in. The moment one person makes a mistake in a zone, it is done. Um, we used to run a backer all the time when I was at Northwestern and it's like that one person that's just not, doesn't do their role right. You're, it's, you're letting up a pretty easy goal, which is the hard part of the zone. Syracuse offensively, you know, they ended up, like I said, they scored a bunch of goals, but, mm -hmm. but I feel like they, if they would, they just didn't move the ball to the weak side as quickly as they kind of needed to, which kind of played into their hands. But let's talk a little bit about Stony Brook's offense. Um, they seem to really attack mostly from behind the net and look for yeah. off-ball cutters and different kinds of actions. And then, of course, they got Kennedy, total stud midi, who will, at the end of a clock, she'll dodge it and draw a foul and get a free shot. But sure. they seem to keep the ball behind. Is that how you would characterize the way they kind of – Yeah, and I talked a little bit about this before. I love their angles of the way they play behind. They, they run right at you rather than a lot of times people use behind as just like – a means to move the ball or they're just like kind of attacking from like a wide angle they really come at you at a different angle jamming up those defenders back there and they run that three-man kind of from behind with those two people really effectively yeah and they do the same thing against zones too i remember watching them play last year against usc and they kind of got the same sort of carry up throw back get it through x attack the other side with those three attackers yeah and it's pretty neat um, they also are really good at their post-up games. You know, yep. uh, Taryn Miller scored a couple of goals where the defender was in perfect position, but she got to the island and she was yep. able to use a rocker and a screenshot to get her shot off. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's cool to watch that kind of grow into the women's game where we just talked a little bit about that, that sense of calm. So yep. an aggressive, aggressive calmness where you have the ability to like, you don't always have to be running a thousand miles through the eight. You can catch it and really make that move. It's like the best players are really hard to speed up. Mm -hmm. That's what yeah. makes them so good is you can't speed them up. They're under control. They slow mm -hmm. down when they exactly. want to. Um, and it's like, then you got need to learn how to, you know, you read the defense that's on you. Read which way they're slightly forcing you if you need to use a little slight rocker or use your weight or what you're 
you know, your body to help get the best shot off, which guys do very well. And girls are starting to grow that into our game. No doubt. Let's talk about the Northwestern Duke game, a shootout. Yeah. Like eight, nothing Northwestern out of the gate. It was 14, eight at the half. It was 24, 14 at one point. It ended up a 24, 20 game. I mean, this is, and the game took like two hours and 45 minutes. I know, right? So I'm so excited to see the amount of goals that Northwestern scoring. They look explosive. They look athletic. They look like their old selves coming back here. I hate, as a defender, I hate to see 20 goals scored up on you. So I'm always like, what the heck? Where's the defense? But, um, I mean, it just shows that both teams are probably, you know, going at it, going hard. And it seems like Northwestern needs to learn how to finish out a game, you know, keep that lead and, and finish it out not allow a team to jump back that high yeah for sure northwestern is deadly in the transition in early offense mm-hmm. their attack um between mccone uh lindsey mccone uh, izzy skein lauren gilbert those girls are just such studs they're so athletic yeah. so fast talk about yeah. fearless i mean oh my gosh they'll just sacrifice their bodies but I know, um, they're fun, to watch. fun to watch yeah no doubt now they play a lot of two-man game um yeah. One of the things they probably need to do is slow down a little bit and even do it a little bit more. But at the end of the day, that, that they've been sort of leading the way um, in in that in that element, and it's been it's been really fun to watch. Yeah, and I just think knowing, like you said, I think they're still kind of. I mean, is he still young? Like you know, knowing when you're doing a two man game that it's not the right time to force a or a play. You know, you can still run it, and you know, look for the perfect opportunity and not the okay one especially when you're up by six or seven no doubt and she can she can like make a play that's like no is he no is he into all right great job is he because she's just such an athletic freak you can take that shot yeah um she's the perfect kid to give it to at the end of a shot clock too for sure yeah um but you know i think in men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse the shot clock era is changing things because it used to be that you would see men's games were kind of like nine eight Mm-hmm. Now you need to be able to win a game 2019 in men's lacrosse and in women's lacrosse. Don't be surprised when, when you have to winning when have to win a game 26 to 25. I mean, honestly, sure. it's the, the, the efficiencies are so high. The offenses mm-hmm. are getting so good. And one of the reasons why your defenses were pretty good is because you guys could hold the ball to kill a game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, you cannot. I mean, I remember one game where we were, I think we were playing Penn and they were, they were up by one. So they're holding the ball at the end of the game. And we were in that red need the ball back type of type of defense. And it was the most tiring three minutes of my whole entire life. And I was like, I never wanted a shot clock more. Um, So it's hard. Yeah. That shot clock changes things. It keeps things so fast paced, but it's exciting. And, you know, it's exciting the way that the, the game is changing. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about recruiting. Um, I know yeah. that there's going to be parents that listen to this podcast and, and players um, as well as coaches, which is why we love to touch base on all these things. But from a recruiting perspective, um, Colleen, after having watched so many, you know, games this weekend, there's so many different types of players that are able to play at that next level. They come in all different sizes and shapes and positions and have different sort of skill sets. And as you put it, X factors. Yeah. No, I th- I love just the mentoring the girls through the, through the process to make them not compare each other to other people because there's no right person for 
you know, every single position. There's not going to be seven fast middies, you know, they have to have an array and a variety of um, each recruiting class and no team is going to be, you know, 24 girls of the exact same style of play. It's just not going to be very easy to recruit, um, to scout against. So just, you know, to celebrate other people's successes and, and focus on your own, focus on your own, you know, strengths. Don't worry too much about, obviously work on your weaknesses, but make your strengths the best that set you apart, that make your X factor your strength. So whether it be like, I'm an amazing power outside shooter, I'm an amazing feeder, you know, like figure out what your X factor is to set you apart from the others and don't make it always comparable. Like I need to be the fastest because you can only, I mean, you can get faster, but you're not going to ever become like always the fastest. Right. Yeah. There's no doubt that working on your weaknesses is going to be key, but I think some people put too much stock in improving their weaknesses rather than trying to make their strengths accentuated because at the end of the day it's going to be what you're best at that's what's going to stand out right for sure and then we've talked a lot about this like lefties are good at being lefties you know yeah. what i mean like you just need to catch and shoot with your left hand and sets them apart so um they don't need to worry too i mean they need to have a right hand but if they become excellent with their left hand that's setting them apart so the same thing should be you know with those that are righties like can you be an amazing you know finisher from the inside can you be an amazing um you know feeder from behind or whatever your x factor is like you need to make it you know set you apart you know that's such an important point about your left and your right there's i think there's too much stock put in being the importance of being Mm two-handed and it's not that i don't think it's nice to be two-handed it'd be great to be two-handed but but most coaches would much rather have a dominant player that can feed it right-handed behind the back, they can feed it with a shovel, they can feed it with a lever, they can go underhand, overhand, and all these different ways. You, you can still dodge left and right and, and get right. right. And that's what you were saying about that lefty. Lefties are experts at getting their lefts right. because they're not asked to be as two-handed. And I think it's, a, it's an IQ advantage mm-hmm. to just know how to get your strength. Right, I know. And I actually was just coaching the other night with my high school team, and I have a couple of really good lefties. And you know, they set up all of their dodges with their left hand and they got the opportunity off just knowing the only time it becomes affected to become two-handed at the last minute, if they need to switch to their right hand real quick to finish, awesome. Do you know what I mean? If the slide came to them. So, but the whole setup came all from their left hand where that's totally fine. Where righties, you sometimes treat them differently. You're like, you need to go both hands. Like you need to use both. But lefties, it's kind of like, oh, you can go all day with your left hand, but no, you know, if you're setting up to your dominant hand, you get the opportunity off. If it's better to take a shot, you know, at the last second or to, you know, make a quick little face dodge and switch your hands or, or roll back, just knowing that having that IQ of what gets your stick to the middle of the field the best Yeah. when it comes in handy. And that's the key. You just said it, getting your stick to the middle of the field. There are statistics mm-hmm. out there, more so in men's across than women's across, but I'm sure we'll see those analytics coming women's across too, but um, you will shoot at a higher percentage with your stick to the inside of the field, stick to the middle every time, every time you will have a higher percentage of of scoring. And, and yet everybody teaches every kid to run down the side with their stick to the outside. And that's how they learn how to dodge. And it is actually the shot that every defensive coordinator wants you to take. Yeah, it's true. I just was talking about that defensively, how you want to force them down the alley and make them take those type of shots is 
what we want to give up. But it's really funny too, because yes, you're right. Youth lacrosse, they teach them just like run down and take those outside shots. But then always on three B twos, you tell them to curl back with the correct hand to your middle, the low people. Do you know what I mean? Be like catch that in your right hand and take that bad angle shot. So you always want them to like turn their hips and come back to the middle because you want your stick to the middle. Yeah. You know, like, so it's like, or you would have to catch that righty and go behind the back to get your stick to the middle. The same thing happens in men's lacrosse too, is that middies grow up running to their strong hand down the side, losing angle attack from behind run to their strong hand and gain angle. And they have this huge repertoire of moves they could do and still gain angle. Whereas mm-hmm. the middies just lose angle with every, step of trying to get their strength and the right. same thing happens um in women's across now one other recruiting thing that we were talking about earlier that is the exact opposite is um if you're a righty and you're pretty skilled you just might want to be able to play lefty because <laughs> there's almost no lefties and now this is a different topic but the fact is is that coaches need players that can play left-handed on their natural side meaning on the right if you're looking at the goal and yeah. to be able to get their left coming to the middle so they have angle they can cut they can feed they can play two-man games um you have a player like that yeah i know i mentioned is her kaylee dyer is one of my most skilled with both hands and i put her on the left side a lot i know she can score a million goals from the right side but you know just to balance it off to have three lefties over there can really help my offense flow a little bit better and it's only going to benefit benefit her in the long run you know if she can you know if she's going to michigan one day and if they don't have any lefties your ticket onto the field is probably to be that lefty, you know, why fight against all the other righties when you might not fight against anybody and you're going to play. <laughs> it's so true. And it's like, it's weird because I was mentioning this earlier up in Canada, they have a hockey culture and in hockey, you always want to play with your dominant hand at the end of your stick, which mm-hmm. means that the majority of people are right-handed people. And there are way more lefties lefty lacrosse players and lefty hockey players right um it's on my son's youth teams playing box he literally had more lefties than righties every year yeah that's crazy we on our triple h team this 2021 team we had six lefties which was crazy that was actually <laughs> it's really fun Kind of nice it was nice balance wasn't it oh yeah i know i got two lefties on my high school team this year so i'm right up. exciting I'm really excited to welcome Jana Drummond to the Inside the Eight podcast. Jana is the associate head coach at UMass, and they're coming off a huge win over Boston College. Jana, welcome to the show. Really fired up to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you guys taking the time and asking me to join this podcast with you. So excited to just talk lacrosse and talk about UMass. Yeah, so I'll start it off. So... Let's talk about the big win. What did you guys do to prepare? And what did you think the X factor was, you know, pre- preparing for the game, maybe during the game? And what are you guys building off of off of this big win? Sure, totally. And I feel like that's a question we're getting a little bit of frequently about um, what was the focus. And I think the biggest thing we focused on was ourselves, um, making sure we were building our confidence, putting in the work, and not putting um, so much fear or anything around BC it was just okay what can we do as a team what kind of details can we focus in on and how hard can we push ourselves every single moment um, on the field off the field extra work all of those little details really were um, highlighted and we're hoping to take that and continue to highlight them and if anything continue to work harder um, and push more and I think 
the, our players and our team and just everyone involved with our program is really um, tuned in to those details and really ready to just keep going and work harder um, and, and push those. So awesome. What, uh, how do you guys, uh, Janet, you coach the defense, right? Yep. Um, how did you guys defend them and how do you guys generally play defense? You play man or zone? So we kind of, we do a big stroke both. So we kind of have anything in our back pocket just to be ready for, I think, with our defense and generally really try to push the ability to be adaptable, um, stay ahead and be in the moment. So specifically for um, Saturday, we knew a couple of their threats. Um, Charlotte North is a force. She's definitely one of their stronger players. So we knew that we were going to have to make sure we were putting a little bit more pressure, sending some earlier slides to her. So we played them in a man um, and really just kind of made sure we, we had that focus. We knew when she was, had the ball, everyone was on the same page, making sure those earlier slides were going to her. Um, she, I'm sure everyone saw how much that trending video went out about her shot. So we, were, we knew she could handle the ball well. Um, and she's just a force. Awesome. I have a question kind of um, about their mindset and then more X's and O's as well. Like, sure. how are your girls' mindset going into the game? Like, that's the biggest thing, I think, when you play these teams that have had, like, such success in the past, like, to get them to believe that they're going to win. So did you guys do any stuff like that? I know that Northwestern used to do a bunch, and Anne just part of that whole process as well. Yeah, definitely. We're really big on just, like, being present in the moment. Um, and that's helped us with just like how we prepare. So in practice, we weren't thinking too far ahead. We weren't looking at stat or we were just looking at that moment right then, um, taking a breath, being um, really focused on the details at hand um, and then building that confidence from there. So we used that, we knew the work that we were putting in, we could use that as to continue to build that confidence and maintain that throughout the game. So um, in those sometimes timeouts and things started to get a little bit, um, hyped up or just different focus levels just with the back and forth we really made sure we brought it back to the present moment and remembered what we were doing as a team and really stayed focused on that um, and that just kind of instilled some of that confidence um, and for us too is like it's just so important to believe they, we kind of really wanted to push out any fear and just maintain the focus of we're going to do this we're going to stay focused on what we're doing right now how hard can you push yourself to be the best that you can be in this moment awesome and then um, sorry, Jamie, I know you probably have questions too, but one more for me. Um, on the draw, what specifically did you guys do to like prepare going into the game, going into the draw? The BC has just done such a great job in the past of totally. doing some draw. Um, obviously, they lost some, some big guns on that circle, though. Yeah, I think we just tried to prep ours and, again, say the, keep focused on ourselves. Um, I definitely think we want to continue to push ourselves on the draw. I know last year um, we were – doing well, but I think this year is a whole new year. We got to really push and include more of the circle, include our jar and keep preparation from there. I think um, Charlotte North did a good job on the draw against us. So I think for us, we really want to make sure we're continuing to push that and really get after that draw and focus in on placement, the details of the draw um, and really getting on the same page with our middies and our drawers. Cool. Um, offensively, um, what, how would you characterize the way you guys like to play offense? And especially since you're kind of focusing more on yourself than your opponents, what do you guys like to do and, and, and how do you kind of make it happen? I think we really want to stay united. Um, that's the biggest thing for us, not really rely on a certain player to do a certain thing every single time, really being dynamic and united in our offense in general. So we can kind of rely on anyone to just do the role, do your job, um, 
talking that Bill Belichick at, um, attitude and that um, philosophy of making sure that each person is so critical in the role that they do and incorporating all of that and keeping that focus on doing what you need to do and that motion and then those offensive sets. So that's really, I would say, how we keep that on them and keep that in their mindset. Okay, do what you need to do. Don't get too much stuck with ball watching or doing anything like that. It's do what you need to do, cycle through it, um, and really go hard in all areas, whether you're on ball or off ball. Would you guys guys say that you're, you do a lot of dodge and dump or two man game or feeding cutters or kind of all of the above, or how do you guys sort of play? I would say all of the above Um, tying in the two man game is huge. I think we've seen a lot of success in that just with ourselves and um, how well we realize, like recognize how important it is we're working together. So we're definitely using all of that, but at the same time, having that dynamic sense where if we need a one v one drive, if we need to draw and dump, we have all of that um, prepared for, and we're just looking to continue to grow. So with with any kind of defense thrown at us, we want to make sure we're really prepping ourselves. Awesome. Awesome. Another mentality question, how was your guys' preseason in general? Um, did you guys have a lot of tough runs, hard days? What were some days that you got, you remember specifically that like kind of helped you guys, you know, physically as a team? Yeah, I think um, really pushing them in any kind of situation. So if they were struggling at certain drills, it wasn't like we were just moving on. We were making sure we were talking about it. We were understanding what was going on, what was our mindset, how we can make sure we're doing better the next time, throwing it at them later on at a different time too. So they recognize, okay, here it is, how are we going to approach this? So really uh, tying that all in and not just moving on and putting in the past, coming back to it, recognizing it, showing what kind of mentality we can have and how we can overcome that. Um, just really being relentless and honestly ruthless with some of those things and like pushing that and pushing that ability to be dynamic and maintain that positive mindset. Awesome. James, any more questions right now? Yeah, I got one more question. So when you're playing against a team like BC that's super athletic um, and the full field game becomes – uh, such a challenge because of their ability to to both create transition for themselves and also put pressure on you when you're trying to clear. Um, how did you guys sort of prepare for that? Obviously, you must be pretty athletic yourselves to be able mm-hmm. to run with them. Um, but how did you guys sort of game plan for that? Yeah, I think um, you made a great point. Like we we have been really pushing that athleticism and also that cue of it, where we're making sure we're being really effective with our movements and our um, game planning with it. We're, we're trying to make sure we're, we're reading the plays and we're, everyone is on the same page and they're all working together and slowing down the ball is key. So that comes from like our attackers riding so hard so they can make sure they're, they're slowing down ball, which will then in return get our defense a little bit more in control of the cutters. And then they're pushing hard and they're riding ball pressure. So we're not seeing these fast breaks as often. Um, and then Practice-wise, we're pushing those fast breaks, too. We're really working on those um, scenarios where we are man down, so we really know how to work through some of those concepts and how the positioning needs to go if we're in those on the defensive end and really uh, building that confidence and building those reps so they've seen it. Um, they can really know how to slow ball down um, and kind of getting everyone involved in that. How much do you guys try to uh, read the situation and decipher between when you're riding and when it's transition defense and we just need to get in and, and stop them from scoring, you know, and I okay. think that's something that's so important for a lot of the coaches that are on here is, you know, when you're riding, you can lock off your attacker when she comes back for it. But if it's transition, you better just get in. Right. Yeah. And how do you make that? How do you teach that? 
Yeah, so it's really, um, we rely on some of those lower defenders and our goalie to really help us out with communication. Um, there's only so much I could say on the sideline. I could be calling out, get back, get back. But if they're not reading it and they're in the moment, they might not even be listening to what I'm saying. So it's really important that we're doing and replicating some of that in practice so they can see the difference. Because I agree, like deciphering and knowing, okay, someone's going down with no pressure on ball. That's kind of a scenario where it's a fast break. We don't want to send and go up. Um, I kind of like, we talk about like monkey sides is what we call them, where you're just kind of playing monkey in the middle and it's just going to go over your head. So it's really important that we're reading those scenarios and we're just watching it on film and putting in the extra work to see that so they understand the difference. Um, and that's where I think having that mindset of being in the present moment is so key because sometimes you get these impulsive decisions to just go versus taking a second, understanding what's going on in front of you um, and maintaining that unitedness in the moment trusting your teammates are going to be there for you and just understanding how all of that iq works is key that's awesome so now who what's on your guys plate this week who do you guys have coming up you've got dartmouth coming up on saturday so um mm -hmm. totally flip the page and we're on to dartmouth right now honing in and really focusing on um stopping them they gave us a little bit of a tough time last year. So we're really focused on just moving forward and just day by day, how we're going to prep ourselves for, for just getting better every day and then focusing on Saturday. Great. That's awesome. And well, one more question for me, Jamie, unless you have a couple more, just to tie it in. Cause Jamie and I talk a lot about recruiting just cause we get a lot of parents and players on here. When you're out on the recruiting field, what are the type of players and skill sets that you look for as a coach to bring to UMass? And that yeah. like sets kids apart. Sure. I would um, say definitely just seeing their aggressiveness. Um, we talk a lot about being fearless and just going out there and trusting in and trusting themselves too is so key and just that aggressive level. Um, I kind of like to see who can really adapt in scenarios too. So you look at those multi-sport athletes um, because there's just so much you can incorporate from other sports such as like basketball, ice hockey, all those different areas um, play a key into how they're reading plays. So I would definitely say that um, is so big with what we're watching and just seeing that athleticism come into play um, and how they're really just using all of those different types of assets on the field. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet. Great. Shanna, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and sharing uh, your thoughts and, uh, and knowledge with us and our listeners. And best of luck to UMass against Dartmouth and uh, the rest of the way. Yeah, good awesome. luck. Congrats awesome. on the great start of the season. Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you. And I love this um, first podcast. So I enjoyed having this and having all this <laughs> across talk. I love it. And I can't wait to do more. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Shanna. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Perfect. All right. Um, so Colleen, that was so fun talking to Jana. Thanks for getting her uh, to come on the podcast with us. Um, what were your thoughts? No problem. I loved having her there. She's just uh, an amazing coach. She's very mindful of learning and, you know, continuing to grow her mindset as a coach. And just, I really love the way she attacks camps and drills. And um, I can see her just really she cares a lot and that's what you want out of college coaches to care. And I'm really happy that they were able to get such a big win to start their season. Huge. Mm -hmm. um, well, Colleen, this has been a total blast. I'm so fired up to be doing this podcast with you. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, we will see you next week. Great. Sounds good. All right, Colleen. Have a good one. See you, Jamie.